Carolina podcast. Diving, diving deep. Diving deep into all things Texas, both on and off the field. Here's Sean Pendergast and Pro Football Hall of Famer, the General, Sean McClain. Welcome, welcome to Utopia. Everybody, welcome in. It is the Utopia football podcast with a sprinkle of baseball today. Good to be with all of you as we get ready for week eight of the NFL season. The Texans heading to Charlotte to take on the Carolina Panthers as a three and a half point favorite. The last time the Texans were a favorite in a road game was in late 2020 against the Chicago Bears. They lost 36-7 to that day to Mitch Trubisky as a road favorite. Welcome in. I'm Sean Pendergast, one half of Payne and Pendergast Sports Radio 610. In the mornings, that's where you can find us. Joined, as always, by my good friend, the Hall of Famer, and our senior columnist at SportsRadio610.com, John McClain. And, John, I say Utopia Football Podcast will get to the football, but the baseball is what has us kicked right in the gut today. We're less than 24 hours removed from the Astros getting walloped in Game 7 of the ALCS, and it looks like this is going to be it for Dusty Baker. We'll talk about Dusty in just a second, but John, just your overall thoughts, it's certainly on this series, but on the season as a whole for the Astros. Considering they got as far as they did, Sean, a seventh game of ACLS, ACLS for the seventh consecutive year, I think it was pretty remarkable, all the injuries out too. They missed 70 games, Alvarez 49, or Garcia lasted six games, and and Lance McCullers never pitched. For them to get to where they did was amazing, but for them to blow the last two games to the Rangers at Minute Maid Park and be so utterly pathetic at Minute Maid Park during the season and in the playoffs is inexcusable. And it was an embarrassment. And they they left so many runners in scoring position. Now, Dusty, all the talks about Dusty, and that's probably good, athletic reporting, that he may not manage again, but they said he could manage again. So really, they're not wrong either way because he may or he may not. And what I'm interested in seeing, Sean, Dana Brown is is close to completing his first year as general manager. And you know when GMs come in, they have guys they want to hire. Will he get to hire who he wants? Will Jim Crane hire who he wants? Where does Joe Espada, the respected bench coach, fit into the equation? Yeah, it's those are all valid questions. I, you know, John, if you, I might have guessed, I'd say Dusty's not going to be back, and, and and I don't even know that that I necessarily feel that way because of the Astros' end of things. Dusty sounded like a guy who is seriously, seriously considering retirement after this game when he was talking about his his one and a half year old granddaughter and his dogs. Two dogs who don't know who he is, and I mean, he sounded like somebody who has a given this a lot of thought. B, taking a lot of input from people in his own family about this. And, you know, look, barring winning a World Series again, he's never going to leave in a drop-the-mic fashion. So the only way he leaves, you know, feeling like, okay, I'm leaving on top, is if they win a World Series. It's If this is over, it's been an incredible run with Dusty Baker. It's exceeded all expectations I think the Astros had to have had when they hired him back in 2020 because they weren't hiring him with the main thing being, ah, this is the guy who – you know, he's he's going to get us back over the top from 2019. He took over because the franchise was disgraced. He took over because he had to help recalibrate the a PR element along with being a manager of a baseball team in what's probably a pretty tricky situation. You know, like they, they were pretty comfortable with A.J. Hinch those five years that A.J. Hinch was here, and you're stepping into a situation. He inherited a team that won 107 games and ironically lost all four home games of the World Series the year before he got there. 
two ALCSs, two World Series, and a World Series championship is a phenomenal, phenomenal four-year run for Dusty Baker. It's a great way for him to go out. The Athletic also said he might want to stay in baseball in some capacity. I doubt that would be here. You know, I'm sure the new manager wouldn't want Dusty hanging around looking over his shoulder. And uh, it's an attractive job. You know, they can not fully expect them next year to extend their dynasty and be one of the best teams in baseball for an eighth consecutive season. They got a lot of good players, got a lot of question marks uh, starting. I'm hoping Martin Maldonado's gone. Let him be a coach in the system. Uh, Elevate Yiner Diaz. See if some of these other players can stay healthy. And will they ever get Lance McCullers back? When will Luis Garcia come back? How much money will Jim Crane spend? Will he bring back Hector Neris and Phil Maton, those guys? Then there's other relievers whose contracts are up. Will Eckstein bring it bring you to an extension? So a lot can go on. Um, I'm guessing, and I don't know how you feel, but Crane will still be heavily involved, even though he has Dana Brown as general manager. And if Brown will start somebody he doesn't like, I bet they don't hire him. Yeah, maybe not. I mean, Jim, Jim Crane's always been heavily involved. He was more heavily involved, obviously, this offseason because they were operating without a GM for like two months. But, he, he, you know, if you go back and read the stories of the Granky trade in 2019, the Granky trade was Crane's idea. He went to Luno and said, hey, man, like we need one more arm. Have you called Arizona about Zach Granky? I mean, I'm paraphrasing a little bit what that story was, but that's he, he's always been heavily involved. I think, <clears throat> you know what's interesting, John? You bring up the bullpen. Dana Brown is probably going to have two orders of business this offseason. Hire a new manager and do what, comparatively speaking, is a makeover of the bullpen. You know, they brought everybody back from the bullpen last year. Hell, they brought practically everybody back that was on the team last year. They're going to run most of this team back next year. I think the thing that is, as a fan, that's concerning to me as compared to this time last year. This time last year, John, you had the old guard the Altuves and the Bregmans of the world, you know, those guys, Yuli last year. Um, and Michael, well, Brantley got hurt, but you, you know, the older players, <clears throat> the, the older players were supplemented by a young group of players in 2022, Pena MVP of the world series in ALCS, Kyle Tucker, phenomenal all-star Framber Valdez, Christian Javier pitching huge, huge games for this team in the postseason. If you look at the guys that were the linchpins for this playoff run, pitching staff, it was Verlander, 40 years old. And then in the everyday lineup, it was it was Bregman, it was Altuve. Obviously, Jordan, who's part of that young crew, Jordan is just a freak. But I think that's the biggest thing that's concerning to me is that this the, the group of young guys you thought would be the foundation for keeping this window open, you know, well into the end of this decade. Pena, Tucker, Fromber, Javier, all underperformed. You know, Tucker was great during the regular season. Playoffs, he was terrible. The other three were completely inconsistent throughout the entire year. That's the big concern for me is what is the what do the young pieces look like on this team? Jeremy Pena was a big disappointment. He couldn't hit as many, half as many home runs last year. His last one was July 5th. He was terrible in the playoffs at the plate. You know, he was good in the field, yeah. but they don't need him to be just good in the field. They've got to, he's under a lot of pressure. I guess this is just a sophomore jinx for him. Frommer was a huge disappointment after his no hitter. And then I've never in my wildest dreams would have believed that Christian Javier would have stunk it up as bad as he did in the seventh game when they needed him the most. He was 
terrible. He was terrible. I, John, I don't know. Like, if, it, is it a sophomore slump for Pena, or is this who he is and he just had a good month last year in the postseason? We're not going to know till next season. Yeah, I mean, I think there's 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 a probably, I mean, statistician or, you know, analytics people would probably be more inclined to say, no, this is who he is. He just had a real outlier of a month as opposed to this is the trajectory he's he's eventually going to be on. I hope that's what he is. I like Pena a lot. I don't think we're going to see as many Pena commercials this offseason. Yeah, I don't think so either. And I guarantee you one thing, drop him down to ninth next season and he will hit a whole lot better than the guy who's been hitting ninth. Oh, yeah. Well, that's you and I would hit a lot better than the guy who's been hitting ninth. (laughs) All right, so that's the Astros. So the Astros, I guess, next order of business, who's the manager of this team going to be? And uh, when they name a new one, we'll talk about it here on the pod. Um, John, let's get to some uh, general news and notes here. We've got the Texans. We're looking ahead to week eight, Panthers and Texans. We'll do a deep dive preview in the next episode. And there's really not much to talk about with the Texans from over the weekend because they were on a bye week. C.J. Stroud's up in Columbus picking games on game day. Everybody else is traveling around the country, getting a few days in of R&R before they get back to the schedule here. So let's hit these general news and notes with you, John, to look at the uh, Texans and around the NFL. A lot, of, a lot was being made of the Titans trading safety Kevin Byer to Philadelphia. He didn't play very well last year, and they asked him to take a pay cut, and he did. But then he didn't play very well this year. So they trade him, they get another safety, they get two low draft choices, and he should be happy and maybe have his career revitalized playing on a much better defense and a much better team with Philadelphia. But uh, they, I was told that they told him they were looking to trade him. They had interest, and he said that was fine. He he never was the same once they asked him to take that pay cut. Do, so, John, do you think – I mean, you're pretty plugged in up in Nashville. Is this the beginning of what's going to be a very active week for the Titans on the trade market, do you think? Did the Texans' week 15 and 17 games just get a whole lot easier if the Titans are tearing this thing down? I don't know how much they have that they're going to trade. They don't have offensive linemen there. I I I don't know if they're going to do that, but he definitely wasn't playing well, and so that's why they got him a new zip code. And um, I think if they trade, everybody's not playing well. They'd be playing, trading half their team. But Another one, Sean, Lamar Jackson finally had a great game under his new coordinator, Todd Monk, and he had 300 57 yards passing, three touchdowns, one rushing. His rating was 155.8. And as against the team I said last week, I thought was the best in the NFC, the Detroit Lions. He just killed them. This is his – he has now 50 touchdown – I'm sorry, his 50th regular season win in his 68th game. 50th regular season win in his 68th game. The only quarterback who've gotten to uh, to a better number in their 68th game was Kenny Stabler. He did six. He had 62 wins in his 68th game. Patrick Mahomes had 63. Tom Brady 65. Roger Staubach 67. No, that can't be right. I botched this note. I've got right 50th regular. Roger yeah, Roger would have gone 67 and one. 50th regular season win in his 68th game. And that is just let me leave it this fifth all time. And it's very impressive what he was able to do against the Lions. You know what it is, John? I bet Roger Staubach got his 50th win in 67 games. Mahomes That's, what it, That's what it is. That's what it is. So repeat them then. 
You, Kenny Stabler got his 50th win in 62 games. Patrick Mahomes, 63. Yep. Tom Brady, 65. Roger Staubach, 67. And then Lamar Jackson's done at 68. Thank you for clearing that up. No problem. No, I like that stat, though. I mean, it really goes to show you where Lamar Jackson is in the pantheon of quarterbacks because I don't know that he – I know he's won an MVP award. I don't know that he gets that kind of credit. You know, John, he was – he was looking like he might be on a different team at one point during the offseason here. I mean, the Ravens really slow played his contract situation, and now he's, uh, I would say, what, probably Lamar, Tua, and Patrick Mahomes, the the front runners for MVP of the league right now, I would think. Two weeks ago, I thought it was Brock Purdy, and uh, not so much anymore. No. And then Brock's not going to get the benefit of the doubt either just because of his pedigree. I was in Maryland over the weekend, so I watched their game against Detroit, and they just – Stomped the Lions. And I thought the Lions might go in and beat them. That's the first really impressive game the Ravens have had this year. Now they're five and two. Okay, my next one, Travis Kelsey and Patrick Mahomes have hooked up for 50 touchdown catches. Now that's impressive. We all know they're the best twosome in the NFL. Well, they got a ways to go till they catch Phillip Rivers and Antonio Gates. They had 89. And number one, Tom Brady. Rob Gronkowski, 90. So they got to go another 41 to become the most prolific quarterback tight end combination in the NFL. And who knows? If if uh, Taylor Swift keeps coming to the games, they may break that in the next couple of years. Okay, a couple of things. couple things. One, where are Davis Mills and Farrell Brown on that list? Um, Let me look. Wait, I'm looking. Let me go down. Let me just start at the bottom. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there they are. Number 863. <laughs> um, number two, did you catch Taylor Swift and Brittany Mahomes celebration handshake? Oh, yeah. Had? How could you not? Well, did you? So what did you think, John? Did you like it? Did you think it was cool? Oh, I liked it. I like anything about Taylor Swift. I, you do? I like her. I think she's good for the NFL. She's definitely good for Kelsey because they ran the stats when she's there and when she's not there. Yeah. My goodness, everybody's going to try to sabotage her coming to his games considering the difference in his statistics. Oh, yeah. They're going to start delaying her private jets to, to Chiefs games, call yeah. it a bomb scare or something like that. Yeah, yeah, try to keep her away. She's like the anti-Yoko Ono. Kids, uh, look up Yoko Ono. Uh, put her in the Google <laughs> machine and take her take a look there. She ruined the Beatles, reportedly, back in the day. What else you got, John? You got any other nuggets? Oh, yeah. Miles Garrett had two sacks in that vic- that crazy victory over Indianapolis. Mm-hmm. He's got 82 in 90 games, and he passed Reggie White yeah. for the most by player before his 28th birthday since sacks have become official in 1982, and he's not slowing down. Looks like he's the favorite for defensive player of the year. He's been phenomenal. He had two strip sacks, and he blocked the field goal. It may have been the best game of his career. No other player's done that in the Super Bowl era. Did you see the blocked field goal, John? Yeah, I didn't even know that was still legal to take a running leap like that. He it's just amazing. jumped over them. <laughs> did he run? It looked like he was doing it from a standstill. He like, did. You can't do – I don't think you can take a running leap, but he looked like a guy with a great vertical. Oh, my God. It was No, it was it was incredible. There's actually a question about that Colts-Browns game in the mailbag. I'll save it. But what, what, what else we got for notes, John? You got any more? I got nuggets? another one here, Puka Nakua. He's got 58 catches, rookie for the Rams from BYU. Uh, He has been phenomenal. He and C.J. Stroud are mentioned as the leading candidates to be NFL 
Offensive Rookie of the Year. He is the he has the most catches in history in a player's first seven games. He has 752 yards in those seven games. Mm. The only other player with that many has two yards more. Jamar Chase in the Super Bowl era, they are the only players to have at least 700 yards in their first seven games. Okay, so a couple things there, Texans-wise. Well, first of all, a couple things. Well, first with Puka, Puka Nakua, he's still putting up these numbers even with Cooper Cup back in the lineup, right? Like, Cooper Cup is, is back. They got Nakua, no running game. Yeah, well, right, and Nakua's still still putting up number one wide receiver numbers. Yeah, you're right. They don't have anybody to run the football, especially with Kyron Williams out right now. Um, number two, it goes to show you the type of year that C.J. Stroud is having, that he's still a fairly – prohibitive favor to win rookie of the year when the competition is a guy who's on pace for damn near 2000 yards receiving right now. Uh, Nakua that's, I mean, it, it goes to show you that CJ Stroud is garnering a lot of respect around the league, at least from odds makers, you know, who knows, maybe they're off base on it, but um, you know, CJ being favorite for rookie of the year uh, is, is a, you know, six games in is a pretty nice accomplishment. He's also on ESPN a lot. He's also on NFL Network a lot because they like to throw the ball. And he's in L.A. And they got great uniforms and he makes big catches. So he's getting a lot of attention. And he got a lot this weekend when C.J. Stroud was uh, traveling the country. Yeah. Did you see C.J. on game day, John? I did. Thought he did well. You thought he did well. I just thought it was funny. As soon as I saw that he was the celebrity guest picker. I start thinking about who else has done it so far this season. Like last, last week was Oregon and Washington up in Seattle. They had Joel McHale on, the comedian, and he's painted half his body blue and half his body yellow, and he's got to painted his hair, and he's on there picking. He's making picks based on music and mascots and things like that. I'm like, yeah, I don't think they're getting that with CJ. CJ's probably still got old scouting reports sitting around. They're going to get the nerdiest analysis ever on all these games from CJ Stroud. There will be no gut feel. It'll all be based on actual analysis. We'll be able to we'll be able to ask him all about it on Wednesday when he's available to the media, and I'll be writing a story about him and Bryce Young. Ooh, what what kind of story, John? Like what, what about them going against you know they're how they're always going to be entwined the rest of their career, and even though they won't be playing against each other, both cut and they'll all play it down. It's still going to be a big deal to see if Stroud can beat Young or Young can win his first game over Stroud. It's funny, John. If someone had told you coming into Week Eight before the season, not told you, but if someone had said, told the football world, like, hey, the Texans and the Panthers are going to face off in week eight in Carolina. One of them is going to be winless. The other one's going to be three and three. I think a lot of the national people out there would have had it flipped around. Oh, I would have too. I would have. I was, in fact, when they started 0-2, I started looking up D'Amico and Bobby Sloak's first season with Kyle Shanahan in 17. And I didn't they start like 0-9? Yeah, they did. I was they about did. to write a column about that, be patient, and then they blow out the Jaguars. Yeah, and there there goes your column, but for good there reason. There it went. Screwed it up. Yep. <laughs> All right, uh, so that is general news and notes. We always enjoy that. Look around the league uh, through the notebook of John McClain. All right, John, you ready? I got about six or seven mailbag questions here. Let's do it. All right, let's do the mailbag. H-O-U mailbag at gmail.com. That's where you can send us questions. H-O-U mailbag at gmail.com. Let's start with this one, John. Jeff in Highland Park says, what's the story with Charlie Heck? Is he coming back? What is the story with Charlie Heck, John? Do we know anything? Charlie walks around normal, but he was walking around normally all through training camp. 
and they're going to have to make a decision on him. But right now, if he comes back after all that inactivity, would he be any better than George Fant? If he came back, would they keep Titus at left guard? I'm thinking, you know, they need to get Titus back at right tackle and then get Juice Scruggs back in and maybe let Jared Patterson play left guard. But if they if they don't activate him, then they're going to have to keep him on physically unable to perform all season. But when you watch him, you wonder what in the world is it that's that's causing him a problem because he just looks so good. Yeah, my understanding is they've got like they're in a they're in a period now where they can they've got like a five week period now to open a three week practice period for him. Um, right. So they yeah. So sometime I guess around like Thanksgiving we'll know for sure what's happening with whether Charlie's going to get back on the field. I feel bad for Charlie. I like Charlie. Um, he's he's played some good snaps for this team. He started some games for this team throughout his first three years in the league. He um, the injury to Titus Howard created a big opportunity at right tackle. You know, Charlie's in a contract here. He could have put some more good film out there with this Texans offensive line, um, protecting C.J. Stroud, you know, quarterback who's not subjecting the offensive line to huge sack numbers. Um, so I, I feel kind of bad for Charlie that this injury has kind of taken him out of the mix because he would have been sitting on a great opportunity here to uh, to play some football and, and maybe – you know, maybe go get a nice contract somewhere else to, to start at right tackle next year. Yeah, because he's not going to start here, barring injury. Nope. All right, um, Billy and Pearland, if you guys can pick one game, I love this one. I feel like we get this every year. I feel like we got this more when it looked like the Texans would only win one game for the rest of the year. So here's the question, Billy and Pearland, if you guys can pick one game to guarantee a win the rest of the season, which one would it be? Well, we should be picking Jacksonville. Then that would give them – and I will. I would love to see him beat the Browns, but it's got to be the Jaguars because that's like beating them three times. So I'd say Jacksonville. I would be Jacksonville too, John. And I think as I was thinking about this question when I was typing it into the rundown, I thought, man, the last couple of years, I was totally making these picks based on emotion because the standings didn't mean anything for the Texans. You know, like <laughs> last year, it was like, I think it's either the Browns or the Cowboys because I hate Deshaun Watson and I hate the Cowboys. Now, I mean, there's plenty of teams to hate on their schedule the rest of the way. You know, okay, like hold show. on a second. Wait, wait, wait. Let's take out the Jaguars. Say the question says anybody but the Jaguars. Okay. Who would you take? I would take Deshaun Watson on Christmas Eve. What Deshaun. about if it's PJ Walker? Uh then okay, if I don't if I know for sure it's PJ Walker start, you know what? It would still be that one because it would also affect the draft capital yes. as well. So yeah, I would one. pick Cincinnati because I thought that's the Ooh. game that I knew they were going to lose mm -hmm. since it was on the schedule. The Bengals have been playing better. If they could be guaranteed of beating the Bengals, they I'm not saying they're going to win every one of their games, but they'd be capable of winning every other game true. and might even be favored in a bunch of them. They're favored on the road this week, John. How's that feel? That's favored amazing. Shows you how far they've come, and it also shows you what a huge disappointment that uh, Carolina is, and I'll guarantee you David Tepper, the owner, has made Frank Wright give up the play-calling duties to Thomas Brown, who's never been a coordinator before this year hmm. and never called plays. So we're going to have two first-time coordinators and two first-time play-callers. Frank Wright would not give it up after a start like this, after doing it his whole career. Tepper has all the earmarkings, John, of a nightmare owner. Uh, just very, very involved his opinion probably matters. It's his team, so he can do whatever he wants. I was going to say his opinion matters way too much. 
it's it's his team, so he can do what he wants to. It just doesn't seem like he is all that dialed in on making great football decisions. He's very impulsive, it feels Rag like. Rag talked about that two weeks ago. I watched him, and a lot of people took from it about his involvement and how they meet all the time. Is maybe he's the one that wanted Bryce Young over C.J. Stroud. Although I watched the interview, there was nothing to me that even hinted at that. It was just how involved Tepper is and how he welcomed that that kind of involvement and input. All right, next one, John. Mark S. Hey, guys, when did Kareem Jackson turn into Jack Tatum? <laughs> oh, my goodness, that's right. He's been hitting people. Finally got suspended for four games in his old age. Kareem has gotten vicious. Yeah, he has. We should maybe we should get people up to speed. Maybe not everybody's totally aware of that. But Kareem Jackson, sweetheart of a guy when he was here with the Texans, I would imagine still a sweetheart of a guy, but an older player now. He is my I think the perception around the league, probably, John, is he's become a dirty player. He's he's made a lot of a lot of hits that have gotten him flagged, that have gotten him fined. He's got almost ninety thousand dollars in fines. This suspension is gonna force uh, over half a million dollars in missed out mid salary that he'll miss out on because he doesn't get paid during this suspension. So, yeah, what is it, John? Like, is this is this just is this symptomatic of a guy who's an older player and he's just trying to make up for it in some other kind of way? What, like, usually, usually when they're older and they're safeties, they don't do this. They want yeah. to protect themselves. And each I saw the hit they were talking about where he hit somebody receiver in the. It was at the, it wasn't in his head. It was in the neck area, which is still against the rules. And they got him because he's a multiple offender. Yeah, it's yeah, amazing. Guy, he's still playing. Right, he was drafted in 2010. He's been doing it forever. Um, yeah, it was Luke Musgrave that he hit the rookie tight end for the Packers. Is who, is who the latest hit was on. But yeah, four game suspension. Years. So are we hang on a second. Then so week eight. No, they play the Broncos in week 13. So they'll, so the Texans, Kareem will get to come back here and play in Houston again. Um, all right, let's see. Jordan, I've seen a few experts, air quotes, say that the Browns should look at trading for Kirk Cousins. Seems like that'd be kind of a kick in the balls to have to do that after spending all that money on Watson. But what say you? That, that is too, one of I, the dumbest things I've ever heard. I saw, I forget who I saw. It might have been Dan Orlovsky, actually, suggesting this, saying, hey, you know, we don't know what Deshaun's health is. Uh, they've got a great defense. They're a quarterback away, which is hilarious to me that the Browns, who gave Deshaun all that money, are a quarterback away. Uh, but he's got familiarity with Stefanski. They were trying to make a case that 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 the uh, the Browns ought to do that. You think, but you, you think it's one of the dumbest things you've ever heard? Absolutely. Okay. All right. Well, Jordan, there you go. There's your answer. Um, Joey and Montrose. Sean, I know you in particular liked Bryce Young coming out of Alabama. Have these first six games done anything to change your long-term view on him? Yeah, a little bit. The so I'll tell you what changed my long-term view on him, John, when I actually saw him at his first practice, and I'm like, wow, he looks even smaller there than he did in the SEC. That's where I started looking at it going, okay, I knew he was small. I didn't know he was – that small. So that probably changed it more than anything. I, I There's a decent chance that Bryce Young is a victim of bad coaching right now, too. I like I, I don't know about – I think Frank Reich might be a little bit overrated, John. That's just my own opinion. But what, what, what say you? What, has anything that happened in the first six weeks changed your long-term view on Bryce Young? No, and nobody complained about Frank Reich's play calling when he had Andrew Luck, and since Andrew retired, yeah. his play calling has not been nearly as well. It's weird – the way that works, isn't it? Mm. I think this, 
they gave up a lot to get him. It's going to be hard for them to improve around him, considering they gave up so much to get him till probably his third year. And um, having, I thought one of the meanest but coolest memes when he did his first news conference, <laughs> somebody had him where his head barely reached the podium. Dude. And I just thought that was terrible, but boy, it was fun. John, you know what was crazy? The number of people that thought that might be real. That was the crazy <laughs> part. They would put him out there like that. Can you imagine? <laughs> oh, that was great. It was so funny. Uh, we can pick on him for being small. He's a millionaire. Okay, people, before you get all worked up about it. All right, two more, John. Liam and College Station. Guys, which Astros have the most soul-searching to do this offseason? Seems like a bunch of guys played way under their 2022 performance or regressed badly in the postseason, or both. Who's got the most soul-searching, in your opinion, to do, John, to get their mind right and start playing good baseball again in 2024? Fromber Valdez. They were talking about extending him before the season. It didn't happen. Don't know if they made him an offer. There was talk he wanted $300 million and a long-term deal. He was their ace, and then they traded for Verlander and he was not the same after the no-hitter because they're counting so heavily on him. Fromber, to me, is number one, and there's a bunch right behind him. Yeah, I would put Javier right there with him because the, the, the Astros have committed to Javier. You know, they've got him they've got him for at least another four years at $13, $14 million a year. So Fromber, you know, you can get out of the Fromber. If Fromber is an inconsistent starting pitcher, you've got control over him for two more years through the arbitration process, which probably won't be as kind to him as he thought it might have been coming into this season because he didn't have a great year this year. Um, so I'll put Javier right there with him. Those two guys are keys. Even though when McCullers and Garcia come back, they're, they're going to have a plethora of starting pitching. I say that. We thought that coming into this year, and then guys get hurt. Anyways, suffice it to say, I'll put Javier right there. With Pena on his own back burner over here, having to get his mind right too, Jeremy I Pena. think all of them deserve another chance. Tucker, I feel – the most confident in to bounce back because he was so good all through regular season. He just had a terrible playoff. Yeah. And I don't even, I don't even count Tucker in that group. He, yeah, I don't gonna be a, he's going to be top three in the MVP balloting. Like he just had, he had a bad couple weeks. Isn't it know? amazing when you see a guy like Pena did what he did last year in postseason and then not be able to recreate it again? Is Baseball. it because they learned how to pitch him and he lost his confidence? He just not anywhere near the same player, but at least it didn't affect him in the, in the field. Uh, yes, he was still a very, very good defensive player, although not a finalist for the gold glove. And oddly enough, Kyle Tucker was, and I didn't think Kyle Tucker was good defensively this year. I thought Kyle Tucker played very lackadaisical at times. Absolutely. Yeah. All right, last one, John. Pablo J. Who are you all rooting for in the Colts versus Browns game this past Sunday? Who are you rooting for, John, with the Texans sort of slant in mind in this? Well, of course, you'd think the Browns because you wanted the Colts to lose, but I wanted the Colts because I wanted the Browns to lose, number one, because of Watson. But number two, it would help the Texans' first-round pick. Yeah. Yeah, I think the Colts are going to lose plenty more games this year. I, like, I'm not – I was rooting for the Colts um, to beat the Browns in that game, although it is kind of funny that P.J. Walker has now won these two games with Watson out. That part's hilarious to me. And people love an underdog, and they love backup quarterbacks, and he hadn't done much at all. But, man, there's a good groundswell up there. Hey. You're winning. Keep him in. 
Are there really people wanting to bench Deshaun Watson up there for P.J. Walker? I think there's a lot of people up there right now because his rating since he's come been the starter up there is 81, Oof. which is like 39th. That's brutal. Yeah, John, it's just so He's weird. been brutal. Except he's one game. At, yeah, he's not good at football anymore. It's crazy. It's wild. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, John, what do you got going on on your various platforms? I have an Astros uh, Game 7 column on SportsRadio610.com. I'm going to be writing Texans uh, on Wednesday between uh, Bryce Young and C.J. Stroud. It would be great if they were the same division and could Mm. play twice a season. But unless they become that extra game, they won't play again for four years. When they play here, they won't play again in Charlotte for eight years. And it's going to be fun to watch even though the players, you know, it'll be important to the players. They're friends. They want to win that game. But uh, the coaches will certainly point out they don't play against each other. Mm, oh, come on, coaches. Let us have some fun with this, please. Quarterback matchup. Um, hey, John, before I let you go, did I hear correctly on In the Loop that you're rooting for the Texas Rangers in the World Series? I'm rooting for the Rangers to beat the uh, Diamondbacks or the Phillies. I think the Phillies will win. I hope the Rangers win what they accomplished was miraculous going back to the choke in that last game of regular season. I have great respect for them. I don't like a lot of them, but I I have great respect for Bruce Bochy, what he's accomplished, and he has done a phenomenal job in the postseason. John, why do you have to stab the city of Houston right in the heart like that by rooting for the Rangers? I don't look at it like that. I just look at it. Team I want to win is the Rangers over whoever in the National League. Then the Astros can say, hey, we lost to the World Series winner. That's, yeah, but we got then we got to deal with all these Ranger fans having hand on us. I know they already beat us. It'd be it's bad enough that they beat the Astros in the ALCS and they got to run around with their little fake rings and things like that. Yep. No, let them have their day. Every dog has one, <sighs> and then kick their ass next season. I That's can't funny. wait for spring training. But this is a dog with fleas and rabies, and it's just got all kinds of. Of uh, you know, just scum on it. Some of like my that. best friends are Rangers fans, my family, oh. and boy, they're giving me a really hard time. And I just respond with a one finger salute. Yeah, it sounds like your one finger salute is you guys are number one. I'm rooting for you in the play no, in the World Series. It's not Yay. this finger. Oh, it's a, oh, it's that. Oh boy. Okay, they right next to it. I got you. I got you. All right. Uh, good stuff, John. Always enjoy it. We'll do it again on Thursday. Look forward to it, Sean. There it is. That is the Utopia Football Podcast. Again, if you want your mailbag question read, mailbag at gmail.com. Send them in to our inbox, mailbag at gmail.com. James Jackson, great job producing. As always, he's the one who gets the podcast out to all of you. Be sure to click the subscribe button. Give us a review wherever it is you get your podcast. It all helps build the audience and build the podcast up. We enjoy doing it for you. And the Texans have given us a lot of good football to enjoy so far this year as well. So for James, for John, I'm Sean. We're out of time. We will see all of you later this week uh, for the next episode, a preview of the Panthers and the Texans on the Utopia Football Podcast. Have a great day, everybody.